So as I said earlier, we are starting a new series on the Holy Spirit, and I'm pretty excited for this series. In fact, over the last several years, I've always wanted to do a series on the Holy Spirit, and I just never really felt like it was a time or just felt the prompting to do it. So it's encouraging for me that it is here. It's happening right now. So I think it's kind of fun doing a series on the Holy Spirit as well as celebrating the resurrection and doing a scriptural journaling on the Holy Spirit. We'll just see what kind of happens over the next I guess we have 45 days or so left. Before I begin, I just want to talk about like kind of pretty much in church culture, we kind of do have a little challenge sometimes. Sometimes in church culture, we have a pull to one or two different directions. Sometimes in churches, we can really focus on Jesus and the Word of God, which is great. Or we can kind of put all of our emphasis on the Holy Spirit and experiences. We often find in churches we kind of gravitate to one side or the other. And our goal is to always walk in good balance. But it's a goal. I mean, it's, a, it's hard sometimes to do in some churches. And it's just kind of a deficit that we have. And I just want to acknowledge that as we as, we, as a church kind of grow and learn that we, we want to find that balance. And I think even as individuals, we have that in our life, that sometimes we can really focus on the Bible and just reading and studying and kind of neglect the Holy Spirit and the role that he plays in our, our life or we just focus on the Holy Spirit. So I think during this series, I, my goal for all of us is that we just really ask an important question. And that is, what does the Bible really say about the Holy Spirit? Because so often, so many of our opinions of the Holy Spirit have been formed by our impressions, or maybe our expectations, or maybe we had an experience that wasn't so good. So, I mean, I think the best way to do a series on the Holy Spirit is each day, even reading in the Scripture, what it really actually says about the Holy Spirit. So, you know, when the series is done, we can say, yeah, I kind of have a much better understanding of the Holy Spirit, and maybe it'll just change some of our perspectives or maybe correct some of our ideas that were wrong and hopefully build in us this greater expectation for the Holy Spirit. And even like Susie said, following that chain of thought that we get to the place that we can oh so easily speak about the Lord and what He's done in our life, that we can make, be difference makers and change the world. So for this series, I, I also have another question, and that's the name of the series is called, Are You Thirsty? Are you thirsty for the Holy Spirit? And another way to say that is, do you really want the Holy Spirit to be leading you in every area of your life? And when you think about that question, do you really want that? I mean, would you like it if the Holy Spirit was so guiding you that you knew that everything that you were doing and every place that you're going and everything that is coming out of your mouth and in every meeting that you had was directed by the Holy Spirit? Would you want him to have that much influence in your life? Or is that maybe a little bit too much for you? I mean, I think that's kind of important for us to ask the question, are you thirsty for the Holy Spirit? And are you thirsty to have him move in your life? See, that question comes from a statement that Jesus made in John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, Jesus is celebrating what is called the, the Feast of Tabernacles. That would have happened in September or October, the year before Jesus was crucified. So maybe, what is that, four, five, six months before Jesus was crucified, he's celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles with all of the, the Jewish community in Jerusalem. And the Feast of the Tabernacles was this annual event that uh, the Jewish people would go into, into Jerusalem and they would celebrate and give thanks to God for what he has done in the past 
and they would thank him for what he's doing and also and, and to ask him to continue to do that in the future. I mean, that's just kind of the rhythm of the Jewish festivals. But part of the Feast of Tabernacles was to thank God for the good harvest that they just had. See, it's now September, October. They've been harvesting, and they're thanking God for the provision that he provided for them. But they're also thanking God for the rain that he provided because the Israel people know that, you know, if God doesn't provide the rain, there's not going to be crops, and, well, that's not going to end very well for them. So part of this festival is to thank God for giving them the water to nourish their land. But also woven into this festival is to ask God to pour out his Holy Spirit on them. So you kind of got these two parts going in the Feast of Tabernacles. One of them, the, the, the Israelites are acknowledging we need rain in order to, uh, to, for our physical needs. But we need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to provide for our spiritual needs as well. So a lot of this festival focuses around the need for God to supply the nourishment they need. And it's not just that God who kind of needs you that would be nice. It's a desperation. Because the Israel agriculture isn't one where there's streams and rivers and there's access to a lot of water. They need water for the crops and they need God to pour out his Holy Spirit on them as individuals. So part of this, uh, this Feast of Tabernacles was the ceremony that they did towards the end. It was on the last day of the feast. And it was called this, this water ceremony. And what the high priest would do is he would gather this pitcher of water from the pool of Shiloh. He would take that large pitcher out and he would bring it over to this altar in the temple. And he would pour the water onto the altar. And it represented, um, the pouring out of the water was a representation of Israel's hope that God would again provide water for the crops, but that he would also provide outpouring of his Holy Spirit. And so during that time when the priest is getting up there to pour out that water, this is, this is like this big part of the ceremony. I mean, this is the last day of the ceremony. Everybody's in town for this part. And what happens when the priest is pouring out the water? unplanned, unscheduled, unrehearsed, Jesus walks up forward. In John 7, verse 37, it says this. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus was telling that crowd that was desperate for nourishment, spiritual rain, that he was there to meet their needs. Jesus was saying, all of you are gathered here, all of you want an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, come to me. I can take that need, I can take care of that need for you. I mean, that would have been an incredibly exciting day for the Jewish people. That's an exciting moment for them to hear that Jesus can do for them what they have been praying for centuries before. Because all the Jewish people that are gathered there, they're going to be remembering several different prophecies in the Old Testament. One prophecy they're going to remember is Isaiah 44, verse 2, for three, two through 3, where God's speaking to the Israelites, and he says, Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant. O dear Israel, my chosen one, I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irrigate your parched fields. And I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessings on your children. This is an incredible promise that the Israelites have been hoping that this would happen someday. They're also going to remember Joel 2 verse 28 where God says to the Israelites, And afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and your daughter will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. See, the Jewish people have been holding on to these prophecies for hundreds and thousands of years, hoping that someday maybe they would be part of the living generation when the Holy Spirit is poured out on all people. And here Jesus stands up and says, I am the answer to all those prophecies. That is great news for this Jewish community. This is incredible news. This is exactly what they wanted. This is a dream come true for them. And I think sometimes in our American culture, when we talk about the Holy Spirit being poured out on all people, we're like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's nice. We don't have that desperation like the Israelites did to think, wow, God, would you do that for me? See, back in those days, in the Old Testament days, maybe randomly one or another person would get the power of the Holy Spirit to come on them. But not everybody would have that same access. And they're all excited. They're desperate because they know they need that to survive. They know they need that to continue to live in this Roman Empire, in this hard situation. And our culture, we're like, yeah, that's kind of nice. Holy Spirit, okay. See, I think sometimes the Holy Spirit conflicts and competes with our idea of an American of, I can do it on my own. I really don't need that much help. I'm good. Yeah, maybe somebody else needs a little bit of the Holy Spirit, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of good. I can kind of manage. I don't think any of us want to be like that, but I think we kind of want to be like the Israelites that were desperate. We really want the Holy Spirit in our life. The Israelites understood that's the life and death issue between having the Spirit poured out on you or having it withheld. But hopefully... And I just wonder, because of the way our culture is shifting and moving, if God is stirring up a greater desperation for the people inside the church. I think I feel a little bit more desperate now than probably I ever did before. Things are kind of complicated in the world. Culture is rapidly shifting. I mean, it's more and more evident each and every day that we do live in a post-Christian nation and culture. The kind of the opinions that I have and the values that I have, that's very small minority part of our worldview right now. And I think it's kind of through the last year, even though it's been difficult, I think it is stirring up in the church this greater desire for the Holy Spirit. I think we know what it's kind of like to live in the Roman Empire a little bit, what it was like for Jesus' disciples. I think it's creating a desperation. In addition to the desperation that I think we're finding in our culture, I think that we're also kind of getting a little unsettled by the status quo. I think we all realize that we need a little bit more than just going to church occasionally. or We need a little bit more than just a little bit of Bible study or maybe a little bit more than just occasionally reading our Bible and we need a little bit more than just a little fellowship. I mean, all these things that I talked about, yeah, they're really important. Going to church, reading your Bible, going to Bible studies, it's all really important. But I think we're realizing we need a deeper and a more authentic relationship with the Holy Spirit. We need a greater reliance on the Holy Spirit 
so we can become the people that God's created us, us to be. I mean, I think each and every one of us, we do represent that there are gaps in our life. Some of us, we got little gaps. Some of us, we got big gaps from the place where we are today and the place where we need to be at. We have gaps in our life between, between my behavior and what my behavior should be. And I think we recognize those and we want to see those gaps go away. Or maybe those gaps become smaller and smaller because we know that we are supposed to become more and more like Christ each and every day. And sometimes when you talk about becoming like Christ, that almost seems so overwhelming. That almost seems so big. Like, where do you start? Where do you even begin? And even how do you even do it? And it's often at those times that this desperation grows that the Holy Spirit would really be leading us in our life. But see, this is the most amazing part of it all, that we have everything that we need. That God and Jesus and the person of the Holy Spirit do live in each and every follower of Jesus Christ. That that is part of our inheritance of our salvation is that the Spirit of the living God lives inside of each of us. I love how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Do you not know that your bodies are temples? That's kind of an amazing thought that we are a temple, that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we have Jesus inside of us, we have God inside of us. That means we have 24 access to God any time, day or night that I need comforting, the comforter's there. I need encouragement, the encourager's there. I need wisdom, the God of all wisdom is right there. Every single thing that I need is right there. But it does take some participation. It's going to take some effort to become more like Jesus. It's going to take a little bit more of our participation. The problem is each and every day we are being formed by everything that surrounds us. We're being formed by our culture. We're being formed by everything we listen to. We're being formed by the stories we believe. We're being formed by the stories other people tell us. We're being formed by our practices and our habits. Everything that is happening around us is influencing us in one way or another, good or bad. This can be a little bit intimidating when you think about that. When you think about what we see and what we watch and what we hear every day, to think, that is actually influencing me. So Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, he says, Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Simple little instructions, but I think if you read these instructions and you really think about it for a minute, you realize you can't really do that. That's a pretty hard task to do. Because I don't think any of us have enough willpower or enough self-determination that we can resist having the world influence us to the point that we become like the world. I don't think we have enough strength to stop that. And I don't think any of us on our own have enough strength to will that we become transformed into the image of God. We're simply not capable of doing that. We're going to need some additional help if we are going to be transformed to the image of God. So before I continue on, I should mention really what is our goal? 
See, oftentimes we talk about our goal is to have freedom. And I think sometimes freedom is kind of, well, it's hard to understand what is really freedom. See, in our American culture right now, freedom is doing whatever I want, whenever I want, with who I want, however much I want, and freedom is no longer, is don't put any restrictions on me. What our current culture would describe as freedom, the Bible would talk, would describe as slavery, would talk as, as bondage. See, freedom is the ability to make the right choice. Freedom is the ability to make the choice that's right for you. Freedom is the ability to choose the right thing and to say no to what's not good for you. But see, this is where it gets hard and it gets tricky because we don't all have enough willpower on our own to make all the right choices, even though we might know what is the best choice to make. We all seem to have a limited supply of willpower. We often often we also have a limited supply of self-determination. We can try to increase our self-determination, our self-will, and, you know, I guess it's a good thing to try to do. But the hard thing is we have a limited supply. Sooner or later, you're going to run out of self-determination. Just kind of think about dieting. Usually you do pretty good in the morning, do pretty good in the afternoon, but the later it gets, that's when you get the urge to get out the Ben and Jerry's. Usually that you don't cheat in the morning. I was in the hospital on Thursday night with a friend who was being checked out in ER, and she's fine. She's doing good. And it was interesting. I get there at about, I don't know, maybe 5 o'clock. It's kind of calm in the ER, and just a few little, you could hear everything, you know. Things are going on, nothing. But the later it gets, the crazier it gets in there. It's like the later it gets, there's more car accidents, the more broken bones, the more people are cussing and swearing. I mean, I learned more cuss words that night. I mean, nurses in the ER are my new heroes. I don't know how they put up with that. But the later it got, I mean, it's like 9 o'clock and ambulances are coming in and out, car accidents. And I just sat there and thought, yep, everybody's kind of used up all their self-control for the day. And the later it gets, the crazier it's getting at that hospital. I mean, it's nuts. I mean, I was kind of sad to leave. It was kind of entertaining sitting in that room listening to everything going on. But I thought, you know, isn't that how life is? We have some of the self-control and self-discipline that we think we can make it through. And then sooner or later, we get to the point where it's like, ah, I can't do it anymore, and you crash your car. I mean, I think most of the, probably the craziest things I've done have probably been at the end of the day. And I think sometimes that is such an indication that we were not created and capable to hold it all together. That we don't have the capacity to go through a day all on our own, holding it together with our willpower and our self-determination, but we are going to need the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit so we can make it 24-7. And we're going to have to learn how to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, especially when it comes to deep issues in your life. You start trying to dig out, your, dig out of issues of rejection or shame or bitterness or anger. You're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to help get you out of those situations. You want to try to tackle any addiction issues or you want to tackle any sexual promisc- promiscuity. You are going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to help dig you out. Some things in our life we will never find freedom for just thinking we can do self-determination. 
I think that's why John says in John 15, 15, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I am them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Not apart from me, you can do a little. Not apart from me, you can do some. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think that's God's word to us of how much we need the Holy Spirit because apart from God, we're not going to be able to do a whole lot. And I think one of the biggest questions that we have about the Holy Spirit and we have about transformation is that question of when is it going to happen? I think some of that's influenced by our American culture. We want it kind of now. We don't like waiting we want it now. And sometimes we do have these wow moments in our life where it seems like the Holy Spirit comes in our life and suddenly untangles us from maybe some years of bitterness or resentment and we're able to forgive some people or we just find like in this instant situation God is able to change our mind. We love those moments. We love those powerful moments of God does something and we're like, Wow. I can't believe he did that. But it seems like usually we have a lot of moments that are just step by step by step that slowly and gradually we see transformation in our life, especially when it comes to character issues. seems like sometimes those take a little longer that we continue to walk it out day by day, year after year, scripture journaling by scripture journaling, Bible study by Bible study, but God does his deep work of transformation over a longer time. But I think one thing, if you want to determine when it's going to happen, if you want me to tell you when do you, am I going to see transformation, when am I going to see the Holy Spirit working in my life, I think the answer is when you don't expect it. There's a lot of unexpected things happen in the Bible with an encounter with God, an encounter with the Holy Spirit. It seems like God has a strategy of coming to people when they least expect it. And when sometimes you would look at the situation and, and you'd say, no, that, that, that won't be a good opportunity at all for God to come in that situation. But that seems like the time that God sometimes pours out His Holy Spirit. And that's what the disciples found in John 20, verse 19 through 22. Let me read that again. Again, this is the day that the disciples found Jesus' tomb empty. And this is probably getting later in the day. It says, That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and at his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's a great story. And that's kind of an unexpected time that you would think the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the disciples. I mean, you kind of expected that would have maybe happened like they got together in church the next day or something. 
You don't expect the disciples are all gathered together in somebody's living room and the doors are shut and probably the drapes are pulled and they're in there with fear and anxiety because they're not sure what's happening right now. You might remember what happened earlier that day. They went to Mary Magdalene, went to the tomb, and Jesus wasn't there. And she found Peter and John, and she told them what had happened. And they went to the tomb, and let's read what it says in John 20, verse 6. It says, Then Simon Peter came along behind them, and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as a cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciples who had reached the first tomb first, also went inside. He said and believed. But they still did not understand from scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. I mean, can you imagine the disciples that day? Everything in the last three years did not go as planned, did not go as scheduled. And now Jesus is dead in this tomb, and that's not going at all how he anticipated who would expect that stone's going to be rolled away? Who would expect that Jesus' body is gone? So you really can't blame the disciples that they're all sitting in that room, all sitting together in fear. My guess is they were wondering when are the Roman officials going to come and get them? Who's next to be crucified? Who's next to be in trouble? Who's next that's going to be tried? They're probably in that room, very quiet, very fearful, very scared, wondering what is going to happen next and what does Jesus do? He walks right into the room, doesn't knock on the door, doesn't open the door. He comes right into the room and says, peace be with you. You don't expect that to happen. But that's the compassion of Jesus. He seems to find people when they're really, really vulnerable. And he walks right into the room and says, peace be with you. That's a powerful greeting for Jesus to say because when Jesus says words, he wants to change the atmosphere and change the environment. And he says into the room, he says, I want you to experience peace. I want you to settle down. I want you to be calm. I want to stop that storm that's inside of you because I need to speak to each one of you. But before I speak to you, you need to be a little bit calmer. And so after Jesus calms down the disciples and they experience joy that he's with them, he gets to the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is that he has to remind the disciples that he's called them to a mission. That he has called them to take the gospel message to other people. That Jesus reminds the disciples that God sent him to them and now God is sending the disciples to the rest of the world. See, this little section of Scripture is about missions. It's about strategy. It's about discipling. It's about telling other people the good news about Jesus. And then after Jesus gives them and reminds them that he's called them to a mission, he says, now receive the Holy Spirit. See, God knew that the disciples are going to need the power of the Holy Spirit if they are actually going to stay on the mission that he's called them to. See, God's sending and saying to people, receive the Holy Spirit, wasn't supposed to end with my healing or my restoration or my feeling better about myself. But for me to receive the Holy Spirit is, a, is about the living water flowing from me to other people as well. And that's what Jesus is reminding the disciples, that I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, 
but it doesn't stop with you. And sometimes I wonder if we're not desperate for the power of the Holy Spirit because sometimes we're not desperate for missions. We're not really that desperate to see the Great Commission fulfilled. We're not really that desperate maybe to share the gospel with some people that don't know it. But that's the equipping power that God was giving to his disciples that night is the power of the Holy Spirit. So they could be transformed and then they could transform the rest of the world. I love that story. When you least expect it, Jesus just walks in the room and brings peace and calm and pours out his Holy Spirit. Probably a lot of you have a testimony like that when you've been locked away in your house and your fear and trembling anxiety and then you can feel the presence of God come into a situation and change your life. Part of that scripture that I like, those three or four verses that I read, and I think that's fascinating, but I think the fascinating part of the resurrection story and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is that Jesus has wounds on his hands and on his side. It's just fascinating that Jesus comes and he shows the disciples those scars. See, I think you would expect that Jesus is resurrected, that he's not going to have any more scars, that they're going to be completely gone. I kind of would expect that the story would have been that Jesus would have shown himself to the disciples and said, look, it's all healed up. Nothing happened to me. Look at my side. Completely healed, completely restored. There's nothing at all to be seen. That's kind of what I expect for the resurrection story. But Jesus is resurrected and he still has scars. And those scars are actually powerful tools that Jesus is going to use. We do read in that section of Scripture in John 20 that he, he shows the wounds to his disciples and the disciples in the next verses, they're filled with joy. That they see the wounds that Jesus experienced and they experience joy. Jesus shows his wounds to Thomas and Thomas, who is a doubter, suddenly believes. That Jesus uses his wounds to encourage other people, to strengthen other people, to give other people joy and to get other people to stop doubting him. I love that part of the story. But also that can be a difficult part of the story. Because I think sometimes in my idealized resurrection story, I come through and I don't have any wounds. And I don't have any scars. And everything of the old is all behind me. I think that's kind of the resurrection story we want because the truth is for some of us, our past is a little bit embarrassing. We don't want to have it ever brought up. We don't want to admit to the fact that, yeah, you can still struggle with temptations or you can struggle with doubts or insecurities or shames or rejection. We try to create sometime in our head this resurrection story that we have that has all of our past is completely in the past. But Jesus comes forth and says, look, I still have some wounds. that forces us to be vulnerable people if we're going to do the things that Jesus has done. See, Jesus was willing to show his wounds for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of mission. 
And sometimes we have to do the same thing. See, I think there's a lot of people in the world that say, I can't relate to church at all. Because a lot of us in church, we try to have We try to have this resurrection story where we say, oh, I don't have any wounds or scars at all in my life. And I think some people look at the church and they say, I can't relate to those people. They're perfect. They haven't experienced anything in their life. I think sometimes people outside of the church are sharp. And they're like, yeah, that person's just a liar. Because <laughs> I know they're not that perfect as they say. And they can't relate to that either. And I think there's some people outside of the church that say, you know, I have wounds and I have scars. I want to be with some other people that can relate to me. And if that church pretends that they don't have any wounds or scars... I think the world says, I can't relate to them. But I think Jesus is challenging his disciples at that moment, saying, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to have influence, you're going to have to be authentic. And that causes us to say we need to live in an authentic community where people can be open and honest and talk about their scars, that they can talk about their wounds without fear or stress or anxiety, that they can be open. See, sometimes we like to have a resurrection story, but we try to forget Good Friday. We try to forget the cross. But usually our wounds and our scars, that's what got us to our cross. That's what got us to Jesus. And I think Jesus is reminding the disciples, don't forget that. Don't forget what brought you to me because I want you to be relevant to the rest of the world. I think we deny the resurrection when we fail to talk about our wounds and our scars because we try to pretend like they don't exist. And I think the challenge for that disciples that night was to remember the fear that they were experiencing that moment. Because sometimes that's the way they can help relate to the rest of the world. What a surprising moment. You're locked away, living in fear and anxiety and doubt, and Jesus walks right into your situation and says, I give you peace, and I give you the Holy Spirit in a powerful way. I love that part of the Bible because it's completely unexpected. So I'm excited for this series. Because probably a lot of completely unexpected things will happen. And who knows when they're going to happen. So let's pray and let's sing a song. So God, I do thank you for your Holy Spirit.
And God, we thank you for the compassion of Jesus to walk into a room when the disciples are filled with fear and anxiety and doubt and to say, peace be with you. So Lord, I do pray and speak peace over this congregation, over this community, those that are here and those that are online. God, would you quiet any storm that we are experiencing right now? And God, I do pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on each of us so that we can be the sent ones and we can do what you've called us to do. But Lord, some of us need restoration and wholeness and victory. I pray that you administer to people here that need that. Especially pray this morning for people with large gaps in their life between where they are and where they need to be. That you would encourage them and strengthen them and give them renewed hope. But God, I'm asking that you would, what you would do for this body is to make us really thirsty for the Holy Spirit. To give us like that desperation that the Israelites had at, at the Feast of Tabernacles. That we would have that desperation and that we would pray with earnesty for a filling of your Holy Spirit so that we are led by your Holy Spirit maybe in ways that we didn't know before. God, each of us have the Holy Spirit inside of us, so we have everything we need, but help us to be alert to what you are doing. And Lord, I, I loved how Susie even said it earlier that sometimes reading about the Holy Spirit is going to help you be more in tune to what the Holy Spirit is doing. So God, I pray that you would do that for each of us as we jump into that, uh, the, the Scripture journaling. God, I pray that we would be a body that is totally devoted to seeking your word and your spirit. That we are a body that wants to be influenced by the power of your Holy Spirit and we want to be a body that is sent for the lost and the broken and the marginalized. Lord, would you equip us and encourage us to do what you've called us to do. Lord, fill us with excitement and enthusiasm and anticipation. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.